Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hi, I just want to thank you for joining us in worship today. What a great time we have to get to spend in the presence of the Lord. I want to continue on in our series talking about living in perilous times and being people of purpose in perilous times. And we've been talking about this and talking about what is our purpose and understanding that God wants to instill in us boldness and a strength through these difficult times, through these perilous times, that we have such a belief that we can walk in the miracles, we can walk in all the things God has for us to see the harvest, to see those things that we've been talking about and praying about, seeing the power of God move in a uh, greater way than we've ever seen before. And, uh, you know, God is at work and he's doing this right in the midst of the perilous times that we're in. And I believe that he's setting the stage really for probably the greatest outpouring that we've seen in our lifetime, at least. I get to see like an expanded upper room experience that we would have that as we continue to move forward and seeing what God's plan is unfold in our life. You know, I have a question and I was thinking about this. Is it possible that God is in the middle of all of this stuff that's going on? He's orchestrating a lot of things in the middle of this, maybe just to get our attention, maybe just just to be able to make some adjustments and changes it. He's doing this. Maybe he's using this to get us to a place we would have never gotten to without having to go through something like this for him to get our attention as we move forward in his plan and his purpose so that we can fulfill our purpose in that. So, you know, the other thing is, I believe we blame the devil for so many more things that maybe he is responsible for. And it's easy to do. Well, it was the enemy, it's Satan. And, and, you know, maybe we have to think that, you know, God knows what he's doing. He's up to something. He's up to bringing shift and change. And maybe it's the experiences that we're having that help get us there. Otherwise, maybe we wouldn't. We'd be too comfortable. We'd be too routine in everything that we do. And we have to remember that we must be those that have a kingdom mindset, not an earthly mindset. Because what's going on in this earth, we get so wrapped up in what's happening here on earth, we forget about the big picture, the kingdom picture that God has for us. I was just thinking about a couple of scriptures too that just keep coming back to me here in this in the last day or so, kind of resonating with me. In one of them just is in Matthew 16, 18, where just the simply the part about that Jesus said, I will build my church. And it says, and all the powers of hell will not come against it, will not prevail against it. And I think about that where he says, I will build my church. And I think probably for multiple generations, we have the tendency, us believers, us Christians, us pastors, we have a tendency to be trying to build his church for him. I think we have to take a pause in that and say, God, we need to come back to that place and really believe that you're building your church. It's not our church. It's not up to us to build your church for you. And so I've been thinking about that and to where we need to resubmit that back to him 
and say, Lord, we take our hands off whatever this is. God, this is yours. This is your baby, so to speak. You birthed this. You birthed the church. And so we want to do that and honor him in that. The other scripture that was coming to my mind was Hebrews 10, 25, where it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, we could have our own interpretation of this. I tend to think that when it says to not neglect coming together and meeting together, that doesn't just necessarily mean we have to get together for three worship songs and a message and that that is an indicator that we've gotten together. I believe there's other ways, other creative ways that we can get together even in times like this. And I believe God will show us those and and give us even insight and wisdom and what that looks like for us. But I, I believe it's important that we do that but maybe it doesn't look exactly the same as we've always seen it before or done it before. So just, those are just kind of things that I just wanted to toss out there that weren't necessarily specific to this series that we're talking about, but things that, that have just been going on in my thought process, you know, getting back into the perilous times. So uh, I've been thinking about famines and how famines along with other types of disaster, whether it's a war or disease, like maybe we're experiencing. So these are things that they've always been a part of human life over the years. It's, it's always been something we've seen, especially we see a lot of stories in the Old Testament about famine and how that affects, had affected the different people through those times. But one of the things that I noticed in that is what we see, famine always precedes blessing and abundance. And it's interesting to see when when we read through these stories that God in the midst of that famine, whatever it was, or it could have been disease or pestilence or plagues, whatever it was, it was setting the stage for blessing and abundance. And, uh, you know, I believe that famine brought people to a place they would have never gotten to in God's purpose for their lives on their own. That wouldn't have happened if things were just good and, and just kind of uh, the average and feeling good and enjoying the life and all the provisions and those things. God allowed these things to bring people to a place where he could multiply his glory and there would be blessing and abundance that would come. I want to talk about just a couple examples today in what I'm talking about in regards to this. I was thinking about in perilous times where Nehemiah took to rebuilding a wall when it was broken down. And this was in the middle of tough, difficult time. And I just want to read a few verses throughout a few chapters in Nehemiah. I'm going to skip through some stuff, try to uh, bring this as just a little bit different look at this particular story than maybe we've looked at before. But starting in Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, it says this early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was serving the king his wine. This is Nehemiah. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? 
With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So in this, we see that he does receive the blessing of the king to go do this. So we jump to verse 16. So it says, the city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began to begin the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab heard our plans, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legit right, or legal right, legit right as well, or historic claim in Jerusalem. So we see they begin to rebuild the wall. And along with having to strategize at keeping the enemy at bay, because there was the enemy that was coming after him, but they were working, keeping the enemy at bay. And this was a difficult, challenging, perilous time. So then we jump to chapter five, starting in verse one. It says, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. After the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who had, have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. So we jump to verse 14 in chapter five. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. You know, there was so much greed and so much self-serving that was going on during this time of lack, this time of perilous times. We see this, but Nehemiah, 
He didn't follow the governors and their demands. He was set on following God and not what these other people were trying to do. And he was able to rebuild the wall and still have provisions available in the midst of the famine, in the midst of the perilous times. He didn't listen to the negativity or the words or the the crookedness of the other governors, other leaders that were taking from people that were charging interest, that were trying to destroy the lives, thinking that they were doing something good. In reality, he was pushing through this going, no, God's given us a mandate to this. And so we through, see through this in the midst of famine, God still brings provision and abundant blessing through this process. So another example that we see is with Joseph. And this is where God orchestrated and ordained for Joseph to come to this place where he supplies food to his brothers, to his family. Their father, Jacob, had sent them there to get food and supplies. And they had no knowledge of what God was orchestrating and setting up that even that their brother was there to be the one that was going to be providing So we see in Genesis chapter 45 that in this, that Joseph, when Joseph's brothers get there, he's speaking to them right in during this famine time. And God had planned this ahead of time that he was going to make sure that he had provision for blessing and abundance for Joseph's family. And he was going to take care of them and it was going to be available to all of all the family. So I just want to read a few verses here in Genesis 45, starting in verse five says, but don't be upset. This is Joseph talking to his brothers uh, when they arrived there to get the food. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. It's interesting because, you know, the plan here that God had in place Well, you would have never seen this coming back in the time when Joseph's brothers got all upset at him because he was daddy's favorite because he got the special coat of many colors. And so they got upset. He had these dreams and and they were going to bow to him and all this stuff. Well, yeah, Joseph probably was mishandling some stuff, but ultimately they end up selling him into slavery and no idea that really God is still in the middle of orchestrating all of this. And so we come to this place where now Joseph's family becomes blessed through all of this stuff that happened. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for certain things happening. And if there wasn't a famine, there wouldn't be a blessing in this possibility. So God knew all this. And so we see that's another example of God orchestrating something in the middle of something that turns whatever is seemed to be not good. He's turning into a blessing and abundance And then I want to tell you just a story real quickly, just about Ruth. And again, if it wasn't for the famine, Ruth would have never met up with Boaz. And and that's an interesting story in itself. And, you know, Boaz was this wealthy, influential guy who owned these fields in Judah, in Bethlehem there. But so Ruth's future mother-in-law was going to be Naomi, her and her husband, 
and their two sons realize that, man, we're in this time of famine here in Bethlehem and we're going to have to make a decision. So they choose to move to the land of Moab. And so they go there. Well, a lot of things kind of go wrong in this process and Naomi's husband dies. And then so her sons get married to these two women, one of them being Ruth. And then the two sons die. And so some time goes by. And so it's Ruth, her sister and her mom that are in Moab. And so then they get word several years down the road here, they get word that things are good back in, in their hometown. And so they, Ruth and her mom, Naomi pack up and they go back to there. And in the process, so this Moabite woman, Ruth is coming into this territory, which Israel and Moab were at great odds. They did not like each other as territory. And so there was a lot of things going on in that. And so so they come back there and Ruth ends up working in this field that Boaz owns. And as time goes on, they end up getting married. And so you see, and when you follow the lineage of Ruth and Boaz, and so if it wasn't for famine, you wouldn't have seen this come about with Ruth and Boaz being together because it would have never happened by any stretch of just allowing life to happen normally. So God intervenes and he already has a plan and a purpose. There's an abundance and blessing that's going to come out of this famine over a period of time. And so we see when you start looking at the lineage and you start going through the generations, we see that about 10 generations down, we see all of a sudden King David David is an offspring that came through Ruth and Boaz. And then obviously you continue that process and you come to Jesus. So you can see what an incredible abundance and blessing comes from something that we deem as something a really harsh time. So again, I just wanted to kind of show us where, whether it's in the middle of a plague or disease or famine or pestilence, whatever it is, God's in the middle of that stuff. And there is abundance and blessing that come out of that, that we need to say, God, you're doing something. And we, we just need to find out what you're doing and we need to be on board with you and what you're doing. I want to read a scripture out of Psalm 37, a couple of verses there. And starting in verse 17, it says this, for the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. So God is, he cares for all of us. He's going to take care of us. And so the wicked will be shattered. Their strength will dis- dissipate. And so we see that the Lord takes care of us in this process. The last portion of scripture I want to read in conclusion here in this message, it comes out of Ephesians chapter six. And I, and it's starting in verse 10, but I want to read this out of the message Bible. I, re- I really like how it, it's communicated here. So I just want to read that starting in verse 10. And it says this, God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best material and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we will walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight 
to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. I just love how that is communicated to us in that portion of scripture. You know, God is faithful through this process and he's given the tools that we need to fight in this battle to go and he's continuing to encourage us, make sure that we care for each other, make sure that we have our brothers and our sisters back, make sure we're there for each other to keep our spirits up, to keep encouraging each other during this time that we're going through. And, you know, God is going to see us through this. And there is blessing and abundance that's coming that we didn't plan a few months ago, but God already knew he's in the middle of all this stuff. And again, we want to be people of purpose through this and see God's will accomplished in all of this. And so I'm just thankful for God and he's at work. And like I said earlier, he is building his church I'm telling you, I'm excited to be a part of his church and see where he's going to take his church as we move forward into the future. So looking forward to, again, soon, hopefully, getting together as a congregation to, to hang out together, to worship together, just to, to build relationships together. And so I uh, just want to encourage you to stay in touch with people and to encourage other people and uh, just enjoy this season, even though it's a challenge, we need to say, God, you've got me here for a purpose, for a reason. And we are going to be people of purpose in perilous times. Amen. So God bless you. Have a good week. And uh, again, I just want to thank all of our worship team doing a phenomenal job and all the people that helped put this together. So have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 